Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Krause explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. This is your host, Dr. Tammy. And, you know, I read one time that the biggest single threat to a physician's finances was not a malpractice suit, but it was actually a divorce. And so in that light, I wanted to invite two people here today who have dedicated their lives, their careers, and even their marriage, because they do it together, to helping other physicians and spouses. They're familiar with the unique challenges that we face as physicians and spouses. And so I would like to welcome Dr. Jeet. Nam and his wife, Vanessa. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tammy. Thank you so much. And I love how you started off the show because that is so true. That it's so true. I mean, we have a, an industry in this country that makes a whole lot of money off of divorce. And really it's a type of devastation and loss that you go through, which you know, sometimes it's necessary. I get that. But in the long run, it's not something that you ever want to have to go through. Definitely not. Yeah. It rocks you to the core, not only well, emotionally, but I mean, for physicians financially too. Absolutely. Yes. It's devastating financially and you've worked so hard. And if you can learn the tips and the tricks and the tools and the techniques along the way to keep the lines of communication open with your spouse. That really goes a long way. You did vow to spend your life with someone, right? Your whole life with someone. So how were you connected then? And what has transpired along the way for you to go from, well, I love this person and I want to spend the rest of my life to, wow, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> Not <And> another minute. <laughs> I know. And we can definitely understand when there's addictions involved, if there's domestic violence involved. And certainly there are cases when it's absolutely best to separate and divorce. But if someone is working, if they desire to change their relationship, it can be done because these tools can be taught. I think the hardest things for us to hear in doing what we do is when we've reached out to somebody and they say, oh, you're too late. Yeah, I got divorced six months ago. I got divorced a month ago. And we've kind of had some preliminary discussions or just saddened by it because so many, so many times it can be helped. Like Vanessa said, sometimes there isn't an option, but uh, those aren't often. They do happen, but there's just either not a knowledge of how to get out of the issues that are there. It's been something that trying to find time to do it Mm -hmm. once you do have the ability to do that. But it's not something, and Vanessa likes to say this, we're not taught. I mean, especially 
Because yeah. Vanessa went through training with me, internship, because I'm an osteopath, which isn't required anymore, but in their internship and then three years of residency. And so um, we're not taught, we're taught to fix and we're taught to push our emotions down and you have to be strong and you have to, I mean, we have to be jack of all trades in many respects and we're not taught how to deal in personal relationships with partners or spouses. And so what should be a safe space to walk into, a space to look forward to when we're not working ends up being a dumping ground for our partner and then ends up causing more stress. And then, you know, pretty think pretty soon, you know, you're not a couple, you're roommates mm-hmm. and you're on either side of the house or the apartment or whatever it may be. We're not taught that. And so one of the things we do is we teach in really from an elementary level, not only physicians and healthcare professionals, but many people before they um, get into a relationship or take it further into marriage aren't equipped for And how can they be? Because society really isn't modeling to people what a healthy relationship looks like. You know, where are we getting our education? We're getting it from our family of origin and we're getting it from the television screen. And Hollywood loves to put scintillating and romantic things up there for us to, you know, to buy into that concept of romance. But in long-term relationships, it's unrealistic to be that way the entire time. And no one is out there shouting, that's just not realistic. And showing people what is a realistic, vulnerable marriage look like with everyday problems, some that aren't everyday that just like rock you to the core and hit you from, you know, they're like boulders that you did not see coming. And how do you weather those storms? What tools are in your arsenal to weather those? And the tools we learned many years ago, we've been practicing them. We, you know, there've been times in our relationship and our marriage where thank God for the tools. Because Surely not. <laughs> because if, <laughs> if we didn't just automatically fall back on those and use those, we definitely would have had a different outcome. Working at it is something that's not encouraged. Like right. I said, it, right. it's been made too easy in a lot of ways to not to not work at something. You know, just throw it away like disposable. Yeah, like it's disposable. That it's a book. My the book that I wrote is called What's Forever For. And that's where that comes from. You know, when you do take a vow or you do agree to be in a long-term relationship, what does that mean? You don't run when things get rough. It's getting through those rough times, putting that work in that shows you the reward that you could potentially have. And it's really in those struggles where we really grow because in the struggles, the struggles are on the edge of our comfort zones, right? And we're just getting ready to push out of them. But, you know, because we're human and because our primary concern is to always be safe, that's always running in the background. We don't like to come up against those comfort zones. But 
they're necessary to grow us as people because we're always learning and growing and then to grow us as a couple to become more deeper and more vulnerable with each other. I'll give you a background, my background, and then Vanessa will give you hers. But I've been a, been a part one way or another, including Vanessa and I, a physician family, grown up in one very early age. My dad was a, actually a family physician. So I knew two things when I, at an early age, that I wanted to be a doctor. But I also liked the thought of marriage. It was something... You know, call me a hopeless romantic. Even as a kid, I would see these, see the good parts of it. Now, I was born into a relationship between my mom and dad that was not very, not a very functional one. My dad, great doctor, great family doctor, great rapport with patients, not a very good husband. And a very narcissistic personality. My mom was not treated with a lot of respect, not given a lot of credit for the things that that she did, which primarily was to raise five kids. Hmm, that's not a full time job. Raise, exactly. <laughs> and my dad never, you know, what he did was most important. Hmm. What mom did was important, but what he did was most important for the house. And she rarely got credit for that. And they argued, screamed, a lot of that. And when they would get into these arguments, he felt like that he was somebody who was disrespected and which was huge to him. And he felt like that gave him a license to go out and cheat, which is basically what he did. I had just mentioned family of origin, right? Mm -hmm. Jeep caught that. He caught that subconsciously. He caught the needing respect and, you know, we can live with someone for a long period of time and not realize that in always new respect wasn't, was important to him. I just didn't understand the depth of it and where that subconsciously came from. And then when I understood where it came from, it just goes to show what we just subconsciously bring along from our families, because that was learned, whether it was, you know, learned on purpose or it's something that we just caught that came from our family of origin that we brought into our relationship. Yes, it was important, but I knew what I wanted in a relationship and knew that could be something that could be worked through and certainly not with infidelity, which happened numerous times. And so as I got older and I went through training, fast forward all these years. And so I, I meet Vanessa who had obviously a lot of the things that I wanted. We put a ton of work, which is something that's unusual with couples anymore, was there's very little pre-marriage discussion, substantive discussion, very little, any kind of training in but it's something that we did, and we decided that once we were married, that one of the things that we do, irrespective of our careers, was going to be to coach. I'll let you talk, honey. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of this comes from my side, which is prior to Jeep, I was married. 
And I got married at the age of 21. I was very, very young. Um, my family of origin, Italian, extremely a traditional Italian. And it was highly suggested that I would marry an Italian. And of course, wanting to please my parents, that's exactly what I did. And I was too young and naive not to recognize that he had an alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. Of course, the alcohol problem became more progressive to the point where he was never going to give that up and actually, you know, didn't until the day he died, of course. And I just had to make a really hard decision. And that was, can I live with that? Or did I want more? And I knew I wanted more. I wanted some of the wounds that I experienced in childhood to be met and cared for and handled with care by my, uh, my husband. And he clearly just was not capable of doing that, nor did he want to. So like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, I went through a divorce, which was absolutely, I mean, rocked me to the core because living in that situation, I was beaten down so low that I didn't think that anybody else would find me attractive or would want me. And it's that step of faith, right? It's the step of, do I stay? Because at least I'm with someone, I'm not alone, or do I go? And I decided to leave and thought, you know what? Living by myself is going to be a lot better than living with what I was experiencing. And I just did it. And fast forward, I met Jeep. So of course, a lot of being afraid, being afraid to step back into a marriage and like, you know, I didn't want to be a two-time twoser. I did not, I mean, there was so much shame that came with the divorce for me. So it was very important to me and thankfully to him that we do some type of pre-marriage coaching. I just needed to, it, it just helped me. And thank God we did. And we fell absolutely in love with it. And I thought, this is what is missing. We did it for a lot of years in the volunteer space. One gap in it is they don't go into sexuality. And I thought that a program like that is really missing sexuality. So, you know, hence I became trained in his sex and relationship coaching so that we can add that piece to our program and fill the gap. Vanessa was unfortunately, well, fortunately for me, even though it was a bit of work, but I was very much excited and looking forward to show her the type of a person that she really was. I mean, she had been down, you know, just not given any credibility for anything that she did, constantly put down. And what I saw was a person that was so much more than that. She just needed somebody to show her that, not only show her that, but to enable her to prove to herself that she was this person and that she could be far more than she thought that she could be. And he gave me the space to do that. 
he gave me the room to grow as a person and he wasn't threatened by that. That's also important as well. We, in a relationship, it's important that we allow our partner to grow and to be accepted for who they really are. And he did that for me. It was dealing with some of the baggage that existed from her prior relationship and from some from growing up. We both had those kind of things growing up. Everyone does. Everyone brings those in. But a lot of it is realization that, as Vanessa said, that your reactions to situations, your how you argue, so many different things. Oh, can I tell this story? Uh, no. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. All right. This is, this is, I have an idea what it is. This but... is perfect. This is perfect. Okay. So this Italian family, right? We're dating. We went to a coffee shop and Jeep accidentally spilled coffee on a pair of my favorite suede shoes. And my family of origin came flying out of my mouth because this is how we talked. And so it's like my dad saying, and I said, gee, sometimes you can be so stupid. I don't know how you became a doctor. <laughs> so That got personal imagine, really quick. <laughs> oh my gosh. And before I knew it, it was out. And so it's very quiet between us, right? And we go back and get into the car and he sat there and said, we never spoke like that to each other when I was growing up. I don't appreciate it. I'm not going to accept it in the future. This is just not what I want between you and I. And right in that moment, I had to make a decision and decision is huge because choice is a big deal with relationships. And the decision was, am I going to, what am I going to do the next time that Vince wants to come flying out of my mouth, right? I decided that I would just visualize biting my tongue. Because if I could visualize that, it would give me the chance, the pause to stop and think about what I'm going to say before it just rolls out of my mouth. And it was just using the connection of the visualization. And I have done that until, of course, it became a habit where I don't, you know, spout like that anymore, but it became a habit. And it's something that I practice, even in business, practice that stop and think before you speak. Thumper. (laughs) Thumper, yeah. Yeah, Don't say anything unless what you have to say is good. Whatever that (laughs) quote was, but you quote it in your book, but I'm not, you know, I certainly haven't been an angel. You know, she told you an example and I'll give you an example that happened around the same time. I'm a big trivia buff. I love trivia. I love history. And Vanessa hates it. And we were playing Trivial Pursuit one night. We were playing it. I think we had a a couple. There were two couples. She and I were playing and then another couple. And we came to... Doctors. Yeah, doctors. I'm not a physician. And we came to... I don't know trivia. We came to a question... (laughs) And it was for, I don't know if you played Trivial Pursuit, mm-hmm. but it's for a piece of the pie. And so it was, in regards to the game anyway, it was an important question. It's life and, or death. And, and, right. <laughs> and, and so she couldn't figure out the answer. And I said something very hurtful. 
And as she was saying, her inner Vince, which was who is the name of her dad, you know, my inner Bunny Nom, who's my dad, still alive, said, I can't believe you're that dumb. Oh, no. And I just like that just slid right out of my mouth. You don't call Vanessa dumb. You don't call her lazy. Two things that you don't say. And and I'm like, oh, man, that was stupid. I wish I could take it back. She got very angry. The game was over. She went upstairs. And if there was going to be any intimacy that night, if there was, it wasn't happening because she was, you know, she was pretty upset. But that's an example where you have to be aware of how you were raised, what your personality is, what kind of experiences that you've had in relationships, dating in the past, because it's going to, like it or not, it's going to be drug into your relationship in how you may react. So a lot of this, Vanessa says this a lot, is being aware of these things. And couples, until we start talking about those things, oftentimes are oblivious. Oh, they're light bulb moments. <laughs> And we call it, you know, stepping on each other's triggers. Well, first you have to know what they are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we aren't even aware of our own. I could see that. And there's some things like, and the reason why we coach healthcare professionals is because I've been not only working in the environment, she has, and we've had couples, two physician couples, one that's not, one that is, all kinds. There are certain things that you're just not aware of or can't understand unless you work in the space. You know, like I said, a big thing is not being able to disconnect when you get out. And this is something that my, again, that my father did growing up and that I swore to myself that I wasn't going to do this. But you go through a day at the office or at the hospital, whatever it may be, and you're, you know, you've had unexpected administrative issues at the office, you've had staff issues, problems, arguments, people not showing up, patients that go sideways, you've had more dumped on your plate than you thought, you have a meeting that wasn't scheduled but has to happen, extra rounds, and on and on and on. So you have to come home, turn that part of your life off, and then help your partner. And if you have kids, help with and be there for them as well. I often would go home, hadn't turned my brain off, certainly not enough to be a present person with my three kids and with Vanessa. And I would go to my chair, sit down, throw on the TV and just engross myself and escape in what I was looking there and just trying to not think about anything that decompressed. decompressed many things from the day. So meanwhile, Vanessa, who at the time for half of my practice, ran the practice until she stepped away after she got pregnant with our third child, she would run the practice, four o'clock in the afternoon, go pick up the kids and then come home, start dinner. And the kids are just pawing at her. 
And I walk in and I go sit down. I'm oblivious to all of that. I'm just self-centered. I'm thinking about my soothing myself at that point. From understandably a many, many days were hellish. You get that. Sure. But I'm not thinking about that. And like I said, your days were hellish medically. Mine were hellish dealing with insurance and all that stuff. So you'd be sitting there and you're doing all this and the kids would be pawing at you. And all I'm thinking about is an episode of Blue Bloods or NCIS that I'm watching. So finally, she'd had enough. And I've got my bunny bomb hat on and I'm sitting there and not thinking about it, which is not like me. I'm not typically that person, but she's, you know, one day said, you know, I can't do this on my own. You know, you were the one who wanted to have all these kids. That's another discussion. <laughs> but you wanted to have these kids. You said you'd help. You said you'd be a part of the household. You said you weren't going to be like your dad. And what are you doing? You're doing exactly that. And I feel like I'm on an island out there and I'm doing all this myself. And, Single parent. And she didn't only have to say this once. She said yeah. it a number of times. And she would also mix that with empathy with what I was going through at work because I was a sole proprietor for years before I became a, an employed physician. Um, and so I'm dealing with all of that. So she was empathetic to it. And, but finally said, you know, you got to help. And it took a lot of communication, which is, you know, good communication is awesome. Bad communication can sometimes be better or worse than no communication. So we had a lot of communication and came to the decision that Yes, I was going to take a bigger role that I said that I was going to do, but wasn't. And it was because of her courage in confronting me with this problem that I became a much bigger part of all of my kids' lives. If she had not have come to me and done that, I think I eventually would have, but not to the point of the moments that I enjoyed when they were youngsters to to where they are now so it took that kind of courage that she should have never had to have come up with so I'm, again it's like i'm not a i'm not an angel we have a great relationship but we we have our time we're human yes absolutely human. we all are yeah well you had mentioned earlier in the show about you know some of the unique challenges that we face even in training and I was thinking one of those is the way we're taught to compartmentalize. You know, you go through the day and a patient codes and you handle that and maybe you lose the patient and the next patient, I'm also family medicine. So maybe you go, whatever, deliver a baby, you know, you mm -hmm. have to go through these huge swings throughout the day, but you compartmentalize so you can make it through. And when you mentioned it earlier, I was thinking, okay, I can see how that would be a very big issue. You know, you've compartmentalized the whole day. And now you go home and you're supposed to be open to your spouse. But I'm also seeing the other side and hearing you guys talk now about how at the end of the day, you're trying to decompress yourself, but you're not available to your family. This all sounds very unique and maybe it's not, but unique to physician families. What are some of the tools that you teach someone 
to get through that compartmentalization versus decompression that you have to go through. I mean, you have to let the day go to be present for your family at night. I think awareness is huge in, but learning, learning to become aware of it and then taking responsibility for the fact that it happens and how can it not happen? I mean, what do you guys go through on a daily basis? I mean, surgeons, come on now. Can you imagine like being doing that for it's a life or death, not saying that all the other specialties are, but sure. And then coming home. And so the comment that I make is just the process of going through college, medical school, training. It's like you've lost a part of your humanism along the way. It has dehumanized you in order to prepare you for the battle that is your profession. So what we do is say, okay, we're going to help teach you how to become human again, because of course that is what your partner is going to want to see. And the fact that, you know, docs, you're not allowed to admit that you've made a mistake. It's very hard, but that part of the vulnerability shared between a husband and a wife can go a long way. It's a very good question. Very good question. You know, to some extent, you have to you have to be able to compartmentalize, mm-hmm. but that can be a that can create its own rabbit hole. I'll give you an example with me. I became involved with hospice when I was in family practice, because I thought what hospice did and does is just such a phenomenal thing about what they do with families and patients. And I would be at the bedside of patients oftentimes at in their terminal hours. I would stuff whatever emotion that I was feeling at the time, I would push it down. And it's like, no, they don't need to see me lose it right now. They want somebody that's going to be there that's going to that's going to hear their their despair, somebody that's that's going to listen to what their questions are and be a pillar of strength for them. So you're there and sometimes this can go on for hours to days and you're having to keep this mask on you. Eventually it ends. And so what do you do? You compartmentalize that. The key to compartmentalization is to cry, to kind of know, okay, this bank of repressed emotions and feelings, they're about ready to explode. I need to do something about that. And too often, that never happens. They stay there. And then it starts to spill over into anger or impatience and not just with the office, but with your partner. You know, I became unable to show emotion. And as Vanessa will tell you, the number of times that she has seen me be able to cry has been 
You could probably count them on your hand. Yeah, one hand. I mean, 25 the, years of being together. And I saw that. I mean, our daughter got married years. two years ago, yeah. and I probably cried more during those two days than I ever had in my life. You know, it's not something that you could just pull it, pull down and just deal with it right. It's a process. And part of part of awareness is being able to know that it's why we don't a lot of us a lot of our colleagues don't realize when when they're in burnout mm -hmm. you know questions will come up and say why am i acting this way i don't know what's happening here it's being able to be aware of those things what do you do about that check in with each other something as simple as how was your day and being able to really tell how your day is without overly dumping but it's but say you know it really wasn't the best of days and obviously we have restrictions about what we could talk about and who we could talk about but it doesn't mean that we can't express the frustrations of our day and that has to be something that's done there has to be an outlet because yeah. it's trapped inside of you exactly because you just can't do that. And, and because then you lose the ability of how to deal with it. Then you just, then you just kind of further draw away. And, and, you know, I saw that happen a lot, not only with my dad, but I've seen it with so many other colleagues that, that I've watched their relationships fall apart. So to make a long story, I guess, because it went on with this is communicate that. And as a partner of somebody who is in medicine, regardless of what it is, when they come home, if it's home or if it's over dinner, where ask that, you know, be vulnerable and give them permission to be vulnerable about how that's been or how a series of days have been or, you know, this or that, because in doing that, it is it does immense help. What does it do? Also, it strengthens your connection. The vulnerability is so strengthening mm -hmm. on either side, really. You know, when Vanessa is vulnerable to me about her frustrations and and her days and me, I was lucky when she was running my office because she understood because she was amongst it. she was there so it was easier for her to understand but it was invaluable to me just to be able to have somebody say to me yeah boy man that, that's just a really hard day i'm here for you talk to me i want to always be able i want you always to be able to talk to me mm -hmm. because there are days that especially when there's time constraints where that doesn't happen, but it should never be. It should never be. Even if you have to schedule it, it's got, it's got to be there. It's got to be there. You had mentioned intimacy was also something that you found was missing in a lot of physician marriages. Can you speak to that a little bit? Is that related to this compartmentalization, oh, yeah. decompression cycle? Yeah. Being vulnerable with each other creates intimacy. Being vulnerable creates trust as well so that you trust your partner, your spouse enough to let them in 
to your deepest feelings. And when you can do that, lost my train of thought. That, that's okay. I know exactly where she's going with this. I know when we have a vulnerable moment, like I was dis- discussing, it just makes me want to be closer. You know, it's not just about exchanging those thoughts, but you want to be physically closer to your spouse. I just have that. I don't want to call it a sex drive, which it is, but it's more than that. It's this drive to be as close to you as you possibly can with your spouse and to be, you know, where the two become one, where you are one. There's that desire. And now that's his desire. That doesn't mean that's everybody's desire and this don't no 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 I, please just don't call me oh you're just a guy no 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 no, no. i don't mean by that I'm just, i know you're right. i'm just kidding men, not all men have that same desire but through our program yeah we figure out what is their desire is it kind of like going back to your love language <laughs> i know that's a totally different book and a totally yeah, different absolutely. genre but you know, Not some really. are physical, some are emotional, the different connections that people feel with each other. It's a lot deeper than that, actually. Okay. It's going deep into how do you feel? How do you want to feel when you're having sex? How do you want to feel while you're making love to each other? And that feeling could be, do you want to feel precious? Do you want to feel cared for? Do you want to feel dominated? Do you want to dominate? And having that discussion, I mean, think about it. How often do we sit down and have those types of talks with our partner? They just don't happen. We're here to tell you they just don't happen. And so when you, I'm getting chills, think about this. When you go there and we help you form the language to go there, you start learning new things about each other. Hmm. And that starts the spark. It starts reigniting the spark. You, you know, to learn more about each other means that you're growing together, it which is. is it's back to the trust and the intimacy yes. again. It's how do you want to feel before, during, and equally as important after, mm-hmm. you know? Are you respected and are you being listened to? See, there's Before, this. during. There's I, that word. But I yes. always want to be respectful. Mm-hmm. I always want to be respectful to you before, during, and after. I mean, it's so important have this understanding as you grow older oh my together <laughs> yes yes so, the yeah. aging process has no mercy again i've been a physician i've been a family doc for 30 years not currently in practice but for 30 years and i get upset about stuff that i shouldn't be getting upset about because of all people I know this. I know what happens to women. I know what happens to men with the aging process. But our likes, our dislikes, our abilities change. And, you know, um, there could be where I'll say, what's the matter? 
what do you mean? What's the matter? I'm like, this wasn't an issue before. Why is it an issue Oh, we're now? really going deep on this podcast. What's <laughs> yeah. the type of stuff that we share? <laughs> what, share this is what we talk to, this is what, talk with our client. It, Approach the unapproachable. Exactly. And it opens up the conversation and makes it a whole lot easier to talk about. So for the couple. Here I am. I'm just not in the mood or... I'm feeling bad physically for whatever reason it is. And well, I'll just say I'm a guy, mm. you know, and I still have the desire, especially with to be with somebody who I so deeply love and care for, who has meant the world to me. I just want to be that one. And when I hear not tonight, <laughs> Or if I hear something like that, it can be, it's where I have to turn off my male and wanting to be physically together. I have to turn on my other side and be understanding and caring. That has to be worked at. We still work at it. But it doesn't mean that it can't happen. Yeah, that's just an example of the fast, a part of our relationship. It happens in other parts as well, where, you know, you have that, what's the word I want to use? It's not conflict, but it's dissonance, right? It's a dissonance between you that you have to give voice to in order to work through it. And I'm a guy, and we differ in this, in our coaching, I'm about a compromise. I think it's my belief And I haven't been proven wrong too many times that there are things, just about anything that you can compromise on. There are things that we call deal breakers that you have before and during marriage that there's just not going to be any movement from there. But that's something that you should really be aware of through honest discussion before you decide whether you're going to take your relationship to another level. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. So in that vein, though, you know how you are. You know what makes up each other. And in knowing that, there should be an ability to work with that, come off of your stump on both sides and come off of it a little bit, even if it's a little bit, to have mutual understanding and to be able to say, I understand this. Maybe I'm not comfortable with how you feel. I can understand it, but do you see where maybe I think a little bit differently? And for and that's okay because we're different people. Right. You know, we're going to think differently. But in communicating those thoughts, you give each other a better idea from where they come from and why you feel the way you do. And that just gives the other your spouse more information to try to understand the problem is when it becomes a power struggle and that's the problem and that's where the gridlock happens where they're at different ends they're polar opposites as far as an issue is concerned and nobody's budging somebody's got to make the first move and it's just coaching through that process And it's not that it can't happen. A lot of times, like I've said, there's not this ability 
to understand, understand how to do it. Right. The tools aren't there. So many times we hear, yeah, I would like to do that. Show me how. Right. Or I would like to do this. I don't want to fly off the handle. You know, I want to handle this in a different way. I don't want to be unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Show me how not to be. I want us to work out, but I just don't know how. Tell me how to do it. Show me. And that's the big thing. It's not We not only tell people, but we show people. Because we're example of it. You know, we, this is what we ha did and have done. It, this is what our, this is what our program is all about. Like I have said, you know, we have a phenomenal relationship, but I'm not going to sit here like a, with bright shining face and say that we don't ever struggle because that's not being truthful. And people don't need to hear that. They want to hear vulnerability that we do struggle, but in those struggles, we know how to get to the end of it. Yeah. What did we figure out along that struggle? What was the silver lining that came out of that? Yeah. And we're just growing together. If there's caring there, right. if there's love there, and I use this example a lot, talking about the foundation of a building. If that foundation is put together with love, if that foundation is put together with genuine caring for each other. And a desire. To and make and it a work. desire to keep that there. And the choice. There's a broken window on top of the foundation where there's a something is spilled or there's something in the house that needs fixed. That's static. That can be fixed. But if this is solid down here, you can get through this stuff up here. That's the way we've always looked at it as far as we're concerned. I mean, we've had couples where there's been infidelity that they've, able, they've been able to get past it because this foundation down here is still there. They've gotten lost, but they need to be, Find brought, their way back. be realigned and brought back. But this is good down here, so that ability is there. Well, if someone wanted to get hold of your book or talk to you to maybe get some coaching for a physician marriage, how would they find you and get in touch with you? The book is on Amazon. And if they're looking for a signed autograph, the link is on our website. And our website is... Stingless plug. <laughs> <laughs> What's forever for? What's yes. forever for a physician's guide to everlasting love and success in marriage. That's a book that we wrote and that's a, an award winner. It was an Amazon bestseller. So we're very proud of the mm -hmm. book. We're both, we're both really all over LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Vanessa has a page. I have a page. And then the company, which is called Best Friends Again, mm -hmm. that name Vanessa came up with, which is exactly what we teach, mm -hmm. that you really, you know, you need to be each healthy, other's best friend. Yeah, healthy relationships include friendship. And if you've gotten away from being each other's best friend, that's the key before moving on. You have to find that ability to be each other's best friends again. So that's the name of our business and primarily on LinkedIn or our website, which is www.bestfriendsagain.com. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. I so appreciate you both being on our show today. 
Thank well, you so much for having us. And one last thing, mm -hmm. we are giving away a free chapter. So there's a download on the website for the free chapter. So just shouting it out to everyone, go there and get a copy of the chapter. Okay. But thank you. Thank you for having us, Tammy. You've been a delight to be with and you've been a delight to talk to. Do you? I feel bad about you as well. And you've both been just vulnerable with us on the show and kind of tells me how you would be in coaching too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much. Would love to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Well, I thank everyone for tuning in today and I hope you'll join us again next week for Grand Rounds.